Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You know, the other day, I uh, actually it was yesterday, I woke up with an Al Green song on my heart. <laughs> no, no, we, and I'm not singing it. We'd like to keep, you know, like to keep the atmosphere the way that it is, but. Uh, but, it, uh, but some of you know the song. It says, everything is going to be all right. Yeah. He's coming back just like he said he would. And um, I think that we need to remind ourselves of that in this season as things are um, stirring the way that they are is that I've got good news for us, is that everything is going to be all right. It, it really is. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. My apologies. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your nearness. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you, Father, for sending him to die for us. Father, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we ask you that your spirit, Lord, would open up our eyes to your law to see glorious and marvelous things. Father, I ask you, let your word touch our hearts and touch our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk this morning about uh, declaring the splendor of Christ in the midst of a cultural crisis and confusion. Declaring the splendor of Christ in the midst of a cultural crisis and confusion, or another way to say it, the, the declaration of the gospel. You know, it strikes me that um, the vast majority of the scriptures um, were actually written during a time of crisis. The uh, vast majority of the scriptures were either written to a, a personal crisis, which we see often in the Psalms, or a social Crisis, a political crisis. A, there was something going on in society, and it necessitated the prophets or the apostles to to speak to the people of God in terms of what God's perspective is and how to cling to Him and how to lay hold of the gospel and how to walk it out in the midst of uh, a very uh, trying and difficult circumstances. It's not a secret that we're living in, in such times. And, uh, and uh, it's been going on for some years, and it seems like it's just kinda, it just kind of intensifies as we, as we move forward. But the reason why I bring up the point about the Scripture uh, speaking often into crisis is so that we know that we, we really do have a roadmap. We really do have a roadmap through the Word of God to, to know what God is thinking, to know what God is saying, 
and to know what it is that God is requiring of his people in terms of how we are to live in the midst of trying times. The second Corinthians chapter four and verse six, the apostle Paul, it makes a very powerful statement. He says for, and we're gonna, and, and the for there is because he's, he's giving a reason for something. And we're gonna look at that reason in just a few moments. He says, but for, or for this reason, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, several verses before, he had just uh, finished laying out essentially his theology, his understanding, his doctrine of how it is that God transforms and changes the human heart. Several verses earlier, in particular in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3, he talks about a transformative power of God's glory. That you and I as, as, as humans, in this case the redeemed, that when we catch a glimpse of God's glory, though it is a dim glimpse of God's glory, that is the power that actually transforms our hearts into the image of him that we are beholding. And so, uh, so an example of this, that when we catch a glimpse of God's patience, then patience is the thing that gets transformed, uh, that gets formed in our hearts. And so Paul had just finished talking about this theology of transformation. And then here in chapter four, we find out that the same way of how God transforms the redeemed into his likeness, it is the exact same strategy that he has for the unredeemed to call them through the gospel to him and let the light of God's glory shine upon their hearts so that they can be transformed and go on the journey of being transformed into his likeness. The thing that we need uh, more than ever is to embrace the, the gospel of the kingdom as our worldview. And what I mean by the gospel of the kingdom, I don't merely, I don't simply just mean the, the message of the saving of our souls. So that is, is very, very, very powerful. I mean, how many of you are grateful for the saving of your souls, right? Amen, right? But the plan of salvation in the scripture is not limited to the saving of our souls. The plan of salvation includes the salvation of society. It includes the salvation of the environment. We see this in Romans 8, where all creation is longing to be delivered from the bondage, from the curse. And it includes the deliverance of the cosmos. In, in other words, all of God's created order to get swallowed up in God's, in, uh, uh, into God's glory and for it to operate exactly the way that God intended it for it to operate. And so when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, we're talking about the understanding of God's plan as it's seen in the word of God. And that plan now becomes the lens through which we begin to interpret the things that are happening, uh, not only in this country, but the things that are happening in the nations of the earth. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is delivering the bride of Jesus from her political idolatry and options. Now, what I mean let me say first about what I don't mean by political idolatry. 
Engaging in the political process of voting, that is not political idolatry. Having a political leaning, that is not political idolatry. Loving your country and wanting the well-being of your country, that is not political idolatry. What is political idolatry is when our hope is in those realities. Is when our confidence, when our cert, when the certainty of our future hangs on those three things. We want the, the certainty, our hope, the, the confidence of our future, we want it to rest on the fact that there's one seated upon the throne. He's going to come back and he's going to establish the reign of God upon the earth. One manifestation of, of this hope in the, you know, in to the different ways is the way that some have lost heart, for instance, when it comes to uh, the fight for the cost of life. Uh, there are many who are going, oh, they're going, wait a minute, what, you know, what, what about the issue of life? I'll tell you what about the issue of life. There's one seated upon the throne who cares about life way more than you do. And last I checked, he was one who was able, let's check this out. He brought deliverance to the Jewish people in Exodus under a king who wanted nothing to do with setting them free. In other words, God is really smart, really able to still bring about the things he wants to bring about, even when there is a leadership that is in complete disagreement with his ways. And so, keep on going on. You know, um, Isaiah 42 is a, it's a, it's a, an amazing passage about the justice of God. Here's what it says in Isaiah 42 about Jesus. It says this. It says, he will not lose heart, nor will he be discouraged. I'm going to tell you something. Something that Jesus is not today, January 31st, 2021, one thing he is not is discouraged at all. I mean, at all. January 21st or whatever inauguration was, not discouraged. January 6th, not discouraged. November 3rd, not discouraged. He will not lose heart, nor will he be discouraged. And he will continue until, it says, justice is established in all the nations. The other thing that it says about Jesus in Isaiah 42 is that he will be gentle in the establishing of his justice. Just the way that he will go about establishing the righteousness and the justice of his father and the justice that he desires. And so when we're talking about political idolatry, we're talking about the thing in which we put our hope as it pertains to the certainty of our future. It says in the writer, writer of Hebrews tells us that God is going to shake everything 
that can be shaken. He says, once again, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He will shake everything that can be shaken. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, but you and I have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And yet, and yet, yet many believers right now are trying to stabilize that which God has shook. Liberal and conservative politics are slowly but surely becoming a new religion. And it is like the clash of the titans in which the church is caught in the middle of the storm, forced to choose sides. Both sides of the political spectrum feel a sense of moral superiority rooted in self-justification. Now, Jesus warns us against this deception, which according to the gospel is that which bolsters self. In other words, it doesn't bring us to a place of deeper surrender and confidence in Christ and his cross. We, we want to turn, we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and, and turn our hearts to him in a deeper and a more focused way. A religion is that which has our heart. And social pressure exposes these fissures of our souls. And yet it is under the Father's leadership that these mounting social pressures are happening. And yet they must result in deep reflection on Christ and the formation of Christ in our hearts and in our lives. The religion of politics is a religion and a narrative of blame. The thing, the very thing that the gospel frees us from. You know, a good thing is, you know, at least we came by it honestly. You know, our great, 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 great grandparents, they decided to have fruit salad and uh, what's the woman you gave me? And, and then the woman who was the first, the devil made me do it. But the very first thing that we see manifest is the issue of blame. And it's the very thing that uh, uh, the gospel frees us from. It says that we are blameless. That means that we are freed from accusation towards us and our hearts are being liberated from launching accusation towards, towards others. I'm not talking about accountability right now, but I'm afraid that the line is getting blurred a little bit these days. A blame by nature is self-justifying and it does not produce a turning of the heart, namely a heart that is justified by Christ that works out the righteousness of Jesus in our hearts and it manifests in our relationships, our family, our friendships, our co-workers, and, it, and it's released into the culture, the very righteousness of Christ. Our only hope in terms of what we can give ourselves to is to really begin to give ourselves to the word of God in a fresh way. 
to meditate on it, to live it, to set our hearts to grow in the gospel with renewed focus, to understand it, to live it generously, to proclaim it confidently. It is the only way for us to discern the truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, actually verse 3, Paul states that the gospel is veiled. The gospel is hidden. It is covered. It's, it's blocked, so to speak, from those who, for those who are perishing. In verse 4, he says, why? He says, because it is, we find out it's a, it is a satanic strategy. The God of this age has blinded those who do not believe. The minds of those who do not believe are blinded by the God of this age. And so we're, as believers, whether it is in America, whether it is in England or Colombia, Venezuela, I mean, wherever it is, all have the same battle. It is a supernatural battle. Where the minds of an unbelieving culture has their minds darkened by the God of this age. It is the Father's primary desire, I believe, primary plan and desire to renew and equip the church with the priority of experiencing Jesus' glory and the renewing of our vision to make him known. To make him known. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because it is the making known of Jesus, and we'll look at that in just a moment, that draws the light of heaven that breaks through the darkness and the minds of the people. I'm going to give a qualifier because we're living in a time right now where we're so angsty where we hear what's not being said. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so here's my qualifier. Vote, Yes. Write your senator, yes, which is a lost art, by the way. Engage in the process. As long as we know this, our vote does not draw the light of heaven. It doesn't. Yes, there's, again, there's things that we want to engage in to the best of our ability in the natural because it is the right thing to do, to stand up for certain things, to resist certain things. But the supernatural light, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that, that is in the face of Christ Jesus, we sang about that earlier, you shine brighter than the sun, that light will not break in because of a vote. 
And so, so you may ask, well, how does it break in? It breaks in when we talk about Jesus. When we declare Christ, it, it draws the light of God on the minds of those who are listening. Paul told the church of Galatia that it was the Father's pleasure to call Paul as a vessel in whom Christ was revealed. Galatians 1.15, he says it, it pleased God. It brought, it brought God great pleasure. He goes, the, the calling of my life, the, the number one thing, there's two things, but the number one thing in my life is to, is to stand before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to unpack, to begin to make sense, to begin to unveil, to begin to open up my eyes from within, to, to see the glory of this glorious man, Christ Jesus. He said, it pleased the Father who called me from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me, verse 15, and in verse 16, that I might preach him to the nations. And Holy Spirit in this hour, he's, he's helping us. He's, he's drawing near to us and saying, hey, come before me. Let me show you things. Jeremiah 33.3, he says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things you do not know. Paul was a vessel in whom Christ was revealed and then Paul preached Christ to the nations and, and the preaching of Christ is the preaching of who he is Number one, number two, it is preaching what he is capable of doing. And thirdly, it is preaching of how he's going to accomplish his purpose. The Holy Spirit, I believe, has the same invitation before the church that through the word we would receive the Holy Spirit's inward revelation of the beauty of Jesus so as to equip our hearts to preach Christ. Beloved, in the, in the midst of the pandemic and just the different political issues and the riots and just everything I'm talking about just within this last year, um, there are so many of those who don't name the name of Christ who are ready for a conversation. And in the meanwhile, while we're bickering and squabbling theorizing, philosophizing, condemning, <laughs> charging others on social media and in our conversations are missing opportunities of those whose minds are darkened. But when you begin to speak to them about Jesus, there is a light that begins to break in upon their minds. The field is white and ripe for the harvest. Paul taught the church of Corinth, as I mentioned earlier, that there is a satanic strategy that darkens the mind of the unbelieving world in order to keep them from receiving the light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God that is found in the gospel. And beloved, it is this satanic veil that is the greatest crisis in America and in the nations of the earth. It is the greatest crisis, the dark veil that's on the minds of those who don't know him. Paul makes a sad commentary, however, later on in 2 Corinthians, that the enemy, that the enemy is still seeking to have that same strategy against the believers. He said, I'm concerned that just like the serpent deceived Eve, that so you be led astray from the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul lets us know that when we become, when we succumb to that strategy, that's when the church becomes vulnerable to a different gospel and another Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11, 4. The greatest crisis that is greater than anything that is found in the, in the news, found in social media, in the culture, is that the culture is under the sway of the evil one. And so were we before we came to know Christ. But someone and spoke Christ to us, and the light of God began, began to pierce our minds. The minds of the unbelieving world, they're darkened by the lies of the enemy. And again, the only solution, the only solution that will pierce through that veil is the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ piercing the minds of unbelievers. And that only happens, beloved, when there is a red-hot, on-fire church that proclaims Jesus, speaks of Jesus, declares Jesus, prophesies Jesus, sings about Jesus, all the ways that we can communicate him. When we speak of him, it, it draws the very light of God. And what's interesting is Paul tells us that the darkness that's on the minds of the unbelievers, he said it is similar to the darkness that was hovering over the earth in Genesis chapter 1. He says in the beginning, he says there was darkness, it was Void and, with, and without form. And other, there, there, it seemed like there's, there's an element of confusion possibly that's hovering over the earth. And it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And Paul says that the decree of let there be light is the same decree that you and I are now called to declare, except for that decree is the preaching of Jesus Christ. In light of the growing darkness and confusion in the culture, as well as confusion in the church, there's a great need for the preaching of him. You know, when you read the book of Revelation, one of the things that strikes me is how much heaven talks about him. <laughs> and Jesus prayed, Father, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine that. A people that speak 
much of him where our ability to articulate him far supersedes our ability to articulate the most complex and most, I don't know, whatever conspiracy theory that's out there. Where we become well-versed in who he is. We become well-versed in what he is like. We become well-versed into what it is that he's up to. We become well-versed into what it is that he's going to do. That we speak of him. And at every time we, we speak of him, we, we mention his name or we talk about something that he is going to do or who he is or what he's like, it, it draws light that pierces people's minds. The other day, I was uh, uh, speaking with a, a young man uh, about, uh, not a believer, actually he wanted to talk about what's happening right now. And uh, we're talking, he's asking questions, I'm just kind of sprinkling, you know, a little this, a little that. And, uh, but in my heart, I'm, I'm like, Lord, yeah, help a brother out, like, give me a, you know, like, you know, I want to get in there somehow, you know? And, uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, the amazing thing about Jesus and why we can trust him, is that, is that, I said, it's because he, he raised himself from the dead. I said, can you imagine believing the word of a guy that died and, and rose himself from the dead? He goes, man, that's interesting. And as soon as I said that, I began to tremble because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. This demonic assault came against me. I could feel it on my body. I began to tremble. Fear hit me. And I'm like, Lord, I, I go, what is going on here? And he's whispered to me so clearly. He said, he said take authority over the spirit of Buddhism. And, and so I did it in my own heart. And the next thing the guy goes, he goes, you know what? He goes, my parents are Buddhists, you know? And, and, I mean, he just, and he just began to open up. He's beginning to open up. And I was able to share elements of the gospel with him. And that's just literally just one story of several I've had just within this last year. The harvest is ripe. But here's the deal. Our squabbling it's not going to draw the light of God to break through the minds of a dark and confused culture. Three things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I'll give you a little title there. It is the crisis of the darkened mind. The crisis of the darkened mind. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five, we see the strategy of preaching Christ. And what's interesting in Paul in chapter in verse five, he says that we preach Christ and not ourselves. I 
I, I say this tenderly. I, I really do. I, I'm not, I'm really, I'm not trying to um, take shots at, at anyone when I say this. I, I really am not. But I say this because I care. Uh, I say this because it, it, it actually pains me when I see this. That we as believers who have been conveyed from one kingdom to another, to the point that there has to be a, there's been a transference of citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, the scripture says. It says that we've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says that Christ Jesus purchased, I love this, it says that he purchased humans for God out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's, it's like the globe is this big mall and Jesus just goes to all the shelves. He goes to the Venezuelan shelf and he goes, I want some of this. I mean, he's just buying off of the shelf. He's just buying Brazil, Colombia, America. I mean, he's buying men and women for God with the currency of his royal blood. Now, let me tell you something. Guess what? When you buy a product in a store, and when that product is now with you, guess where that product is no longer? It's no longer in the store. You see where this, are you guys seeing where this is going? You are no longer in the store where you were purchased. And so when there is political discussions going on, left or right, I'm an equal opportunity offender when it comes to this issue. <laughs> when we get offended, when someone says, well, you know those liberals or you know those conservatives, when you get offended at that, it means that you're busted. It means that your identity is that and you've forgotten that you've been bought out of the store. I, I am not, again, I gotta get a little qualifier because it's 2021 and people are, someone heard what I did not say. So let me tell you what I did not say. I didn't say don't vote. I didn't say don't write the senator. And I didn't say don't stand up for what you think is right. Beloved, I'm talking about the heart. I'm talking about our identification, the thing that we identify with as the body of the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. We are his body. Paul says in Ephesians that we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so when Paul talks about we do not preach ourselves, it is a preaching that is rooted in the identity of the flesh. He says that kind of preaching does not draw the light of God. He says, but we preach Christ. Verse six, for the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown upon our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
In Psalm 2, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the psalmist talks about the decree of the Lord. Yet I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. I believe that we're living in similar days. I'll get back to Psalm 2 in just a moment. I believe that we're living in similar days as in the days of King Uzziah. The transition of King Uzziah in the book of Isaiah, the transition of, uh, from Uzziah to Jotham and to Ahaz brought about a transition in the land that resulted in the three things. It resulted in an economic decline. It resulted in a tremendous moral decline. And Israel became militarily vulnerable in terms of its national security. And it was in, and it was in that time, it was, it was in the time of the start of that transition when in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, which, again, which meant in the year that there was the beginnings of an economic decline, in the year when there's the beginnings of a moral decline, and in the year when a nation became vulnerable in safari security, it was in that year, Isaiah says, that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that's where we want to find ourselves. It's in the midst of those concerns, and undoubtedly Isaiah was a prophet in the king's court, not everything that he said and did is found in Scripture, so undoubtedly he had conversations with the king about the different social, political dynamics and so forth, giving him advice, speaking into it. But what the Holy Spirit does highlight in terms of Isaiah's ministry was that in a year of crisis, the thing that God did was he pulled back the veil and he saw Christ Jesus in all of his glory. More specifically, what he saw was he saw the leadership and the administration of Jesus Christ in the age to come. And beloved, when Isaiah saw what he saw when he saw Christ high and lifted up, the first words out of his mouth is, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell with a people amongst, uh, amongst a people with unclean lips. In other words, woe is me, I'm a man because I've been speaking words that have not connected my audience with what I just saw. And I'm surrounded by a people who are speaking words that are not connecting others with what I just saw. That's what Isaiah called unclean speech, was speaking words that don't connect our hearts with the vastness of the glory of Christ that is found in the gospel, namely his reign and administration that will be established on the earth forever. Everything is going to be all right. He's coming back, just like he said he would. <laughs> Beloved, this is our hope. Psalm 2 is uh, one of the clearest commentaries on the current and future uh, social, political, and global climate. It's one of the clearest commentaries. And the people of the nations and, and their leaders, they have a radical resistance against the Father's leadership and his eternally wise election of his son. 
They don't like it. They don't like his laws. They don't like his ways. And they really don't like that he picked a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth to be a world leader. The idea that Jesus is God's chosen king. That's the gospel. Christ, the Father's chosen king. And in the midst of the insurrection against the hill of God, <laughs> there is a decree from the Father. He says, in the midst of the nations raging against his, against his leadership, he says, I have set my king on my holy hill. I have appointed a king. I have established him. Acts chapter 13, verse 33, I established him and confirmed his leadership by his resurrection after he died on the cross. Isn't that interesting that that's the decree? In the midst of all the evil legislation, in the midst of all the resistance against God's leadership, against, uh, in the midst of all the perversion, heaven speaks through the church to the nation and says this, God has set his king on his holy hill. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The father has established it. The father has decreed it. It is a decisive decree. God's decisive action that was established and confirmed through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And beloved, the church must join the Father in declaring that decree as the primary way to break through the darkness of the culture. This decree, I've set my son on my holy hill. You are my son, today I've begotten you. This, this decree, it, it encapsulates the gospel of the kingdom which is simply the decree of the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not mostly your sins are forgiven. That's part of the gospel. The gospel is that Christ Jesus is God's appointed king who rules and reigns on the earth. By the way, do you know that every political leader, every king has their gospel? It's called, I will bring hope to this nation and everyone's gonna get rich, yay! No, really, that's, that's what they're saying to me every four years. I'm gonna get more money, make everyone safe, and get rid of all the disease. Yay! <laughs> and then they come into office, they do like a fraction of it, barely. Then you find out they lied. Then you find out that the other part was massively exaggerated. And then you find out that the other thing they promised they can't even do. <laughs> Jesus comes on the scene, he goes, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> right and at the end of the book of revelation guess what he's called he's called faithful and true to go ah, he did it he actually did it every single bit of it he did it <laughs> as the king of all kings the one and only true 
politician that will follow through on everything without hype, without exaggeration, and without an ounce of impotence. He has every power to complete everything that he said he was going to do. And so I love Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. He says, uh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings, who proclaims salvation, and here is the decree, your God reigns. That's the peace, that's the Good tidings is the proclamation that the Holy One of Israel made flesh, will reigns, and he will reign. That's the thing that gives us confidence and great hope. The mystery of the gospel, the glory of God's leadership through Jesus is veiled to those who are perishing in the nations. The nations are raging because they are under a spell of the evil one that darkens the mind, hindering them from seeing the Father's plan for the world, the gospel. Let's have the worship team come up. We need the church in America red hot on fire. Not only do we need the church in America red hot on fire, the church in America will be red hot on fire. There is a great future in the gospel, I have to add that in there, <laughs> for the church in America to be red hot on fire, to be filled with the authority of God upon our spirit as we join the Father in this decree. The way the Father is challenging the raging nations is through this decree, in and through the church. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is plumb lining the church again to get anchored by the inward revealing of Jesus and the speaking of his splendor to a confused culture. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we ask you that you would increase your presence upon our hearts and upon our minds, and Lord, that you would magnify your son. Father, we pray a second Peter one, Lord, that your son Christ Jesus, that he would be like the morning star that rises in our hearts. Even now, Lord, would you cause the morning star, for those who know you, would you cause the morning star, Father, to rise in our hearts and in our minds. Father, would you be pleased as you did with your servant Paul to reveal Christ within. Your spirit lives in us. Father, in all manner of ways, firstly through your word, open up our eyes, Father, to see your son. Father, I ask you even in the night seasons, Lord, that you would give dreams, you'd speak concerning your son. Speak, Lord. Psalm 16, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to be instructed in the night, 
night unto night revealing knowledge. Father, I ask you, you release that realm of revelation in the night seasons. You release visions. Father, that you would anoint conversations. Lord, that we would just stun one another as we share little thoughts about the glory of your Son. Reveal Jesus in us, Lord. Oh, Father, would you release the decree through us to our coworkers, friends, family, neighbors. Oh, Abba, release the decree through us. Lord, we speak over this congregation, let there be light. Lord, we speak over our families, let there be light. Lord, we speak over the unbelievers, whether they're family members or co-workers, let there be light. If there's anyone here, just uh, keep your eyes closed. If anyone here is a, you don't know the Lord, or you've walked with the Lord and the Lord has been tugging you to surrender your life to him once again. If you'd like to receive prayers, I'd love to invite you to come to the front. I wanna pray for you. You've never given your life to the Lord or you have walked with the Lord at one point. Just wanna give out that invitation. Also, if you are saying, you know, the Lord has been dealing with you about the, the sharing of Christ. You've been feeling that renewed stirring and you'd like to receive prayer for that. So I want to invite you to come to the front as well. See, the Lord has been stirring you to share Jesus. So I also have the ministry team uh, come up. If it's your first time uh, giving your life to the Lord, let them know and they will pray with you. If you're giving your life back to the Lord, let them know as well. And we're just gonna take a moment, just worship the Lord. Let's go ahead, Brenton. Let's all stand. <laughs> 